0: If you've got your Bibles with you, we are in Hosea. We started a new series last week called Dirty, and we're gonna start back into that. If you don't know where Hosea is, it is okay to use the table of contents, or if you've got a phone with a Bible app on it, that's fine as well, just pull it up on there. It is kind of hard to find. What I have found about myself, and what I think probably applies to all of us, is i think we're all kind of getting forgetful we talked about this not very long ago on a wednesday night like it's just it's hard to remember things these days and i've always heard people say well i'm getting older and i can't remember anything and i refuse to admit that's the cause because i'm only 34 and i can't remember anything i think the problem is that we've all sat beside larry at church and his it's all made us free. no i'm kidding i think the problem is is we're busy we're busy we have so much stuff in our world and in our lives that we get busy and we get distracted and we forget things that should be important to us so we talked about this the other night what are some ways that you remind yourself to do things just shout it out for me post-it notes those post-it notes my desk at school has got post-it notes all over the place Scott's whole family is laughing his whole he doesn't even have wallpaper he's got post-it notes at his house good what else Jordan a journal. Jordan's got a journal. He keeps up with his stuff. Adore? Oh, phone reminders and timers. You get like 18 alarms. They go off and they say, wake up and, you know, go put your <laughs> put your clothes on, brush your teeth, all that stuff. I do that. Uh, my favorite one that I do is I text myself. You guys have no idea the percentage of the messages that are preached in this church that are typed on a phone and texted to me while I'm driving down the road. So if I ever die, it's because I, I did it for y'all, just so y'all know. Anybody else want to throw out any great ideas? I'm taking notes. I may start using some of these. List Ms. Glanita, she's making lists. Things that I got to do all of the time. Uh, here's one more. This this is free. This is just in addition to the Bible this morning if you need this. If you'll leave your keys by stuff you don't want to forget, you'll get in the vehicle and start looking for your keys and when you find them, you'll realize why you left them there. So when I find my keys in the freezer, I know I was supposed to dethaw the chicken this morning before I left. So that's all there. But it's it's okay that we're forgetful. God created you and he knows that you're forgetful. He knows that you're gonna be distracted and God is a God of remodeling reminders. He loves to remind us of things. If you look in the Bible, you'll find time and time again where he puts something in the Bible or he has something or has us do something that is supposed to remind us of something about him. After the flood, after Noah's flood, God puts a rainbow in the sky and it's a reminder of what? God will never destroy the earth with water again. It's never going to happen again. And when does that rainbow always show up? Right after a storm, doesn't it? It's at that time when we start to wonder, how bad is this going to be? How much rain is there going to be? And all of a sudden, there's this rainbow. God just says, hey, remember, I promised. I promised you about that. God, when the Israelites passed over the Jordan River, he had them take stones out of the middle of the river. He had the priests walk into the river. The river quit flowing. They crossed across the river, and they all took rocks and had a pile of rocks made on the other side. And for generations, people would come by, and their kids would ask, Dad, what's what's that pile of rocks over there for? And the dads would be like, those are from the middle of the river. It's to remind us how God led us into the promised land. Of course, maybe the the most prominent with Lord's Supper coming up and with the Passover for the Jewish people, it's a reminder, both looking forward and looking backward, of Jesus Christ's blood spilled for us. John, not because we, you know, forget the fact, but just to bring it back to focus. Let me remind you of who I am and what I've promised. And and we'll find this in the Bible again and again. And what we're going to find this week in Hosea is some reminders that God gave to Israel that we can learn a lot about God in. Now, if you missed last week, or if, or if you need reminded, like let me remind you of what Hosea was. Hosea is a prophet, which means that he is a messenger. He's been sent from God with a message to the Israelites. Usually, these prophets come with a. Um, with a message of repentance. You need to repent, you have sinned. Well, Hosea comes, and he doesn't come with a verbal message to start off with. God sends Hosea as a visual reminder about Israel's rejection of God. And this is what he tells Hosea. God tells Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute named Gomer. And your relationship, your marriage with the two of you will be a reminder to everybody of what it is like for me to be a perfect and loving God and to love you and is comparing us and sinners in Israel to a cheating spouse. And what we found last week is that this gives us a definition of sin, of what sin is. And it's just rejecting God for something that is inferior, but we think is better. And Israel had done that personified by this picture of Hosea and his wife Gomer. Hosea, the loving husband who loves a woman who will cheat on him again and again and again. So the next section of our story in Hosea chapter 1 continues on. Last week we ended with Gomer and Hosea's marriage. This week, after they're married, they are going to begin to have children. So if you'll read with me, starting here in verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, call his name Jezreel. I'm sorry, let's start in verse 3. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, call his name Jezreel for yet a little while and, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to, uh, cause to cease the kingdom and the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now understand, that probably sounded like it was in a different language, and I'm going to explain that all for you. But before we start, I'm going to tell you where this is going. This is the beginning of a cycle of redemption, a cycle of restoration in the Bible. What we will see is God will show us this cycle five separate times in the book of Hosea, where the people have sinned, there is a judgment or a punishment for that, and then that will bring us back to redemption based on God's grace and his love to rescue us. Five times in the book of Hosea, Hosea, God puts that, rede- that redemption cycle into the story. Why? Because we forget things, and he wants us to remember it, so he makes it repetitive. The first cycle of redemption we see is the story of Hosea marrying Gomer, a man marrying someone that is going to cheat on him, and yet he continues to call her his wife. The second one we will see is with Hosea's three children. Each of these children represents something that shows us this cycle of redemption. So in this, every child has a God-dictated name. Hosea has a child and God says, name this child such and such. And for this first one, he says, name this child Jezreel. Now for us, that means absolutely nothing without a little bit of study. But for the people of Israel, they would have known exactly what that name was pointing to. You know, names have meanings, and even in our culture, most of our names have a meaning, something, something that is supposed to remind us of. And so um, if you ever wonder what I do in sermon prep, I sit at a computer and I Google all of your names to see what all of your names mean. So I started looking at your names this week and, and finding the ones that I really liked the good ones, and uh, here, here's what I come up with is is the meanings of your names. Now, if your parents told you it meant something else, or if you named your child something and thought it meant something else, you're arguing with Google, not with me, just so you know. But I started looking at names, and, and I found the name a Olivia, Olivia, do you know what your name means? Peace. She does know what it means. Olivia's name means peace. So when we look at Olivia, when we see her leading worship, when we say her name, it's supposed to be a reminder of what peace is and what peace feels like. I looked up the name Tiffany. We've got a couple of Tiffany's. Tiffany, do you know what your name means? You're going to love this. It means a gift of God. Oh, So all of you men who married Tiffany's, you know, that is a gift from God. All you men who didn't marry Tiffany's... <laughs> just saying it doesn't say that so you can remind Patrick of that whenever you would like to it is a gift of God Rick you know what Donna's name means Well, it's very simple. It just means woman. Like, I don't know. That's real original. We've got three Donnas in this church, and they're just woman. The only one that's worse than that is Glenita, and it means nothing. Wait, wait, time out. Time out. It has no meaning is what I meant to say. That's what happens when you take the Scrabble box and shake it out and make up a name off the letters that are found on the carpet. So, so Glenita has no neat meaning there. Um, I went through some others. We've got a couple of Rhines here. That means little king, which is cute when they're a boy, but I would suggest that you do not call our Rhines little anything or they're going to be very upset with you. Robert means bright in fame. Larry means can't remember anything. That's two Larry jokes in the same message. I'm sorry. Larry, Larry means funny, which is actually a good one for Larry. He's got a very witty, dry sense of humor. Uh, Norman means Yankee, or man from the north that's the same thing in my opinion but all of these names have different meanings and when you get to Jewish names which we still share today Jewish names usually had names that reminded people of something about God so we have some names that are biblical names or or at least derived from biblical names for the example the name John well he's scared now I'll call him out John means God is gracious so when we call on the name of John when we say to John hi how are you his name is supposed to remind us of the goodness and the graciousness of God uh, the name Betty, we have several Bettys here, means the oath or the promise of God. And so her name is a reminder to us about God's promises to us. Danny or Daniel, so it means God shall judge me. Meaning that when we see that name, we should be reminded of God as a just and perfect judge. And of course, the name Joey means copies off his wife in Bible study. No, I'm kidding. Joey means God will Increase. And so these names are supposed to remind us of something about God. And what God does in this story is He puts names on these children that are supposed to remind the children of Israel. And as we study deeply, remind us about something of God's love for us and something about God's uh, perfection and His justness before us. And so these names, unfortunately, of these three children, these are not names that remind us of something good, but remind us of something bad. So the first name that we see here is the name of jezreel means nothing to us but if you study into israel or uh, the culture of the israelites every single israelite at this time would have known what the name jezreel means and i'll tell you what it means they would have known this immediately is jehu which was the great grandfather of the king at the time of hosea so we're talking about a dynasty of kings jehu who had established his dynasty through a bloody coup And when I say a bloody cue, I don't want to get too graphic here, but let me tell you what he did. He went and he took all of the king's descendants of the one he was trying to overthrow, and he killed them all. He had his queen thrown out of a window and left her body laying on the streets where the dogs ate it. The next day, there was a pile of 70 heads in the courtyard that showed all of the descendants of King Ahab had been killed so that Jehu could establish his dynasty and could become a a ruler. And so with this, this wicked dynasty, God looks at this and he says, I haven't forgotten how you got to power. I haven't forgotten what you did, the bloody, the bloody sacrifices of other people's lives that you made to come into power. So Jezreel to anybody in uh, Israel would have been a reminder. This all happened, by the way, in the Valley of Jezreel. That's why that name comes from there. Jezreel would have been a reminder to anybody of the wickedness of the leaders. And in this, God promises, I will break your bow which is a symbol of power. Think back to this time. What is the utmost military weapon? They didn't have tanks. They didn't have planes. They didn't have missiles. The, the best military power that you had at this time was your archers. And, and the people that could shoot arrows for long distances could reach out and touch somebody. And so for that reason, a bow was a symbol of power. And God promises them that with this name, he reminds them of the sins at Jezreel, the murders of all of these people. And he promises them, I'm going to take away this kingdom. And so from this point forward, every time Hosea sticks his head out the door and calls his son to come back to, uh, come back in to eat, he says, Jezreel, it's time to eat. He would be reminded of the sins of Israel against God, the sins of murder. And of course, this points to um, worshiping other gods as well. Now, what I find interesting about this is if you study the Valley of Jezreel in this, uh, this coup, this, this overthrow attempt, it was a 100 years before Hosea's time. And so out of nowhere, this sin that has been forgotten, maybe it's not talked about a lot, they think they've got away with it, God all of a sudden comes out and reminds them, this dynasty of kings that you have is not one that I put together. And he names this child, but every time this child walks into a room, people will remember, God remembers that. What if somebody took your utmost secret sin from your past and named their child that? And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you walk into a, a room and you see a child named cheated on their spouse or drunkard or was arrested or abused somebody or, or consumes pornography or sexual sin. What if all of a sudden you've seen that? It would, be, it would be this huge reminder to you of how much you had failed God. And for the people of Israel to name this child Jezreel, it was just always this, this oh, he hasn't forgot. We didn't get away with it. So in this cycle of redemption that we're talking about, we're going to have four main points, and here's the first one, if you've got your paper and would like to write it down, is God does not overlook or forget sin and injustice. Over 100 years later, a sin that had not been mentioned, had not been called out, God brings back a remembrance of this by having this child named Jezreel. Now, this is a comforting comforting thought for a lot of us, is that God does not overlook injustice. Because at the end of the day, I think almost everybody in here somewhere has been wronged by somebody. And somewhere in our minds, we like to think God has forgot about this. They got away with it. I dealt with this hurt, or I dealt with this pain, or I dealt with this injustice, and they just got off just completely free from it. And, And we don't like that. But if you feel that way about somebody or some situation in your life, let me assure you that God has not forgotten the injustice that was done to you. Let me also assure you that you're not the only person who feels that way. In the Bible, King David was known as a man after God's own heart. And he wrote almost half of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And if you look at those Psalms, tons of them are God calling out to God and crying out, saying, I feel forgotten. There's civil war in my family. They're trying to steal my kingdom. My friends have turned around me. God, I feel forgotten. I feel like you are not seeing this. And there's a promise in Scripture that God has not forgot the injustice. And that should comfort us. But if we think about that really hard, it should bring us pause because if God does not forget the sin and injustice of others, God doesn't forget the sin and injustice I've committed. I have a, a friend who, um, when she was a teenager, she started smoking, and I don't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and point out at whoever smoked a cigarette, but she was trying to hide this from her parents. Her parents would not have let her do this, and the first couple of times she brought home a pack of cigarettes, you know, she hid them in the car under a bunch of stuff and left them there, and then she would sneak off and make an excuse, I've got to go driving somewhere, and then she would go, you know, out of the side of the car, she would make sure she sprayed herself with perfume. No chance that my parents are going to find out I've started smoking. and and over time she had to hide a little bit less and a little bit less because she felt like I've pulled one over on them they don't know they'll never remember they'll never catch me until one time she went to reach inside of her package of cigarettes but instead of a cigarette she pulled out one of her dad's business cards it was just a small reminder that I know what you're doing and just because you think you haven't got away or you have got away with it doesn't mean you have And I think a lot of times we treat God that way with our sin. We as humans, we initially think we've tricked God. If my church doesn't know that I did it, my friends don't know that I did it, it was a long time ago, nobody said anything about it, I didn't get struck by lightning, I think I've hid it from God and he didn't see it. Sometimes we like to minimize our sin. We like to say, you know, well, that wasn't that bad of a sin. There's lots of people that do a lot worse and God's not really concerned with that sin like he is these other sins. I've, I've hidden it from God. God is not concerned with it. I got away with it. But here's the truth. You haven't got away with it. God has seen it. And just because he doesn't immediately strike you with lightning does not mean that he did not take notice. Back in Genesis, there's, there's two brothers named Cain and Abel, and many of you know this story as the first murder. Cain was very jealous of his brother Abel, and he took him out in the field and hit him in the head with a rock and killed him. Cain thought he had got away from it. And God comes to Cain and is like, what did you do? Cain goes, nothing. You didn't see me. And this is what God said to Cain. God said to Cain, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the rocks. Listen, we are not getting away with our sin. We are, we are not tricking God, and we are not hiding it from him. Our sin to God is as noticeable as if there was a cannon going off in this room with us. It screams out to him. Listen very carefully. No sin has gone, has gone unnoticed by God. And with that in mind, let's go back to our scripture here. Let's read verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 and 7. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name lo, Raham, lo Rahamah, and I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen." So this second child comes out, and it's the same thing as Jezreel. God tells Hosea, name this child lo Rahama." I can't say it correctly, but that word literally translated means no mercy. So what this second child is, is a reminder of punishment. The first child, Jezreel, is a reminder of the sin. The second child is a reminder that the punishment is coming for that sin. And this is what God says, that the power of the dynasty will be broken. And then God uses the words, I will take them away meaning the nation of Israel will cease to exist, and God will not save you. Wouldn't you hate to be these kids in in high school? Like, these guys don't have any friends. Like, they're showing up at their buddy's house, everybody's sitting around in the middle of Israel. They're eating pizza and playing games and stuff like that, and all of a sudden, here comes Hosea's first two kids, and they walk into the room, and all of a sudden, everybody's happy, and they're just like, oh, look who it is. It's the reminder of the massacre and no mercy. Were we having too much fun for you that you would walk into the room and just kind of remind us that punishment is coming for our sin? Like, like, why would you even come here? And that was God's plan is that every time people saw these children, that they would know their sin has not been coming or has not been forgotten and their punishment is coming. That punishment is carried out, it's recorded in the Bible, it's carried out by a neighboring um, kingdom called Assyria and if you've ever studied any history especially ancient history you know that these guys from Assyria these are bad dudes it makes the the massacre of Jezreel look like elementary school school when Assyria invaded an area they would they would flood in and they wanted to make a statement kind of like modern day terrorists they wanted to get your attention with how brutal they were and they wanted you to bow to them because you were scared of them and so one of the things that they would do is they would go grab the king and they would take him down to the graveyard to the cemetery. And they would pull out the skeletons of all of his ancestors and give him a rock and watch him grind those bones into dust. Now, the purpose of that was to show them you have no lineage. Your, your ancestors don't matter. The pre- previous kings of this place no longer matter exists. exist. The Assyrians are in charge now. So it's very likely that this, this um, with Israel that the king at this time, Jeroboam II, had to pull out the bones of his great-grandfather Jehu and grind them into dust the the syrians loved to impel people which is where they just sharpen a stick and throw somebody on top of it and let them hang there in between life and death you know who invented crucifixion the same way that jesus died it was it was the Assyrians. they loved to skin people alive flaying their skin off of them and whoever lived through this whoever they didn't care, kill they carried off into slavery and God says, I'm going to let your kingdom be taken over by the Assyrians. Not Judah, but the kingdom of Israel will be taken over by the Assyrians. And this is what I find interesting. This is, this is from verse um, 6 and 7. God says these words, I will utterly take them away. So when God identifies what happens with Assyria, what he says is, I did this. I let this punishment, this judgment come upon you because of your sin. This this was by my power, and I will not save you from this. This is a gentle, or maybe not even a gentle, but this is a reminder. God will punish our sin. Our second point in our cycle of redemption is God will punish sin and injustice. And I hope when I say that, that every last one of us looks into our own heart and realizes God will punish my sin and my injustice. And so we sit here and we think, well, what kind of God would do this? A holy God would do this. I thought God was love. He is, but he is also just. Does he punish every sin? Every single sin. What about my sin? It's kind of the point, is that for sin, for all of our sin, punishment is coming. When Jesus walked this earth, He talked about a lot of topics. And one of the topics he talked about, and he was not scared to talk about, is he talked about a place called hell. And when we talk about that, we've kind of tried, and I've even shied away from that topic because it's not a fun topic. But Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. He talked about the punishment for our sin more than the rescue from our sins. And he described it as eternal torment, as crying and grinding of teeth, as a place of fire and darkness and a place with no escape. A place where we will sit in one place for all of eternity just wishing that I could get away from here. And when we hear that, it was like, well, does that make God angry and bad? No, that that makes God good. Because every person in here believes in punishment for sins when somebody sins against us. When somebody does something to me, I'm a grudge holder, guys. That's one of my sins. I'm a grudge holder. When somebody does something to me, I'm praying, like, God, get them. Like, I don't want them to die, but they could have a car wreck or something. Teach them to cut me off in traffic, you know? Like, we want punishment for other people. We believe in punishment for other people, but the way that God is just and the way that he is perfect, if he punishes them, he must punish us for our sins too. And Hosea's kids are reminders of this. Now, for the Israelites, they would have heard this message and they would have kind of breathed a sigh of relief. A, whew, it's a good thing we're God's chosen people because he, he wouldn't do that to us. He wouldn't punish us for our sins. We're kind of special to him. And so, so God continues on in the story, and he addresses that in this next part. Verses 8 and 9. Now when she had weaned lo Ruhama, she conceived and buried a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Lo-Ami, literally translated, means not my people. And God says to these people, when they start to put their hope in, well, we're God's people, he'll, he'll take care of this. God says, no, you're not my people because I'm not your God. Now there's, there's something in this that I won't state as fact, but I think it's interesting to think about. Some theologians believe that because of the story of Hosea and Gomer, and we know that Gomer cheats on Hosea, some people believe that this was not Hosea's child as another picture of what God is saying here, that perhaps Gomer cheated on him and this child came out, and that may be the reason for the sudden shift when we go to uh, chapter 2, when Hosea then begins to talk about how his heart is broken by Gomer. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's interesting here, because when God looks at his people, these people that cry out to him and say, oh, we belong to you, God says, no, you don't. When the Assyrians come rolling in and they're saying, why did God not save us from this? God says, because you're not my people. I'm not your God. You've lived separated from me. You've broke commandments. You've worshipped other gods, and you have rejected me. And so God is not abandoning them. He's just stating a truth. You chose not to be my people. You chose for me not to be your God. God just says that you can you can't call myself you can't call yourself my people because your sin has disqualified you. Point number three in our cycle of redemption is when we reject God in sin, our relationship with him is broken. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, you find the story of Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve did what I think every last one of us have done. God puts them in this amazing, beautiful garden. It was perfect in every way. He gives them a job. He gives them each other. He gives them animals. It's, it's like living in the middle of Yellowstone Park. And he says, you can eat of the fruit of every tree here except, except for that one. You've got one don't eat of that one. And Adam and Eve become tempted by Satan. Satan comes to them, and what does he tempt them with? He says this, he says, you will know good from evil if you eat the tree. What that, what that really means is, if you eat that, you get to be God. You get to decide what's right and wrong. And since that time, every last one of us has lived at least part, or well, let me take that back, all of our lives at some point, we have decided, I want to live my life my way. I will decide what is right and wrong. I will decide when it is okay to do what I want to do. And in that, we have rejected God. And this has destroyed our relationship with God. And for that reason, we can't call up on him and say, hey God, how about some mercy? Hey God, would you, would you keep me from this? And if that part of the story is where God left this, this would be a very dark book. I can kind of feel how y'all are feeling right now. It's like This isn't a fun sermon at all. Ready to go home. If, if we just simply left it that God will not forget our sin, God will not punish our sin, and God will not have mercy for our sin, then nobody's gonna leave here ever wanting to come back. But I love the power of God when he speaks to Israel and when he speaks to us. The power of God is he can change the entire narrative of this scripture with one word. Just, just one word is all it takes for him to completely change everything. If you still got your Bibles open, uh, look in verse 10. So God has said, I have not forgot your punishment. I will punish your punishment. I will have no mercy. You are not my people. Verse 10, first word, underline it, circle it, highlight it, whatever you want to do. The first word is yet. If you want to know what the definition of grace is in the Bible, it is the word yet. It means however, but. It means that whatever comes next is fixing to be a complete change from what he has just said. God says, but, yet, however, Israel will be destroyed. There will be punishment for your sin, yet, the people will go on. Let's continue reading verse 10 there. Yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be as as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are sons of the living God then shall the children of judah and the children of israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great shall be the day of jezreel look at look at what god did there look look at the grace of god he levies this huge punishment for our sin on us he says to israel you are not my people and then he says but one day one day in the very same place that people that I was told you that you are not my people you will be called the sons of God that's better than restoration you can be somebody's people or you can be their son and son is a whole lot closer God's grace not only saved them not only came back after them not only redeemed them but elevated them to be family with him and then God says in a time when Judah and Israel become great again he says these words great will be the day of Jezreel this is God's ability to change definitions. Jezreel at the beginning of this book was a reminder of something horrible, of something nasty, of a massacre, of being dirty. But once God has said yet, once God has said yet, suddenly Jezreel becomes a symbol of hope and restoration. And all that changed, all that changed was God decided to take his people back. So our fourth uh, take-home truth here, our fourth promise is God's plan is to restore our relationship with him. And so here's the cycle of redemption that is laid out with these children in Hosea 1. There is sin in the world. God levies a judgment or a punishment for that sin. That sin causes a broken relationship between us and God. And then there is restoration. And five times in the book of Hosea, God has that cycle replayed. Why does he replay it five times? Does he think we're done? He does think we're dumb because we are. I think this is the reason God did this in Hosea. You guys remember when you were young and you had those mean math teachers and they made you write, Your times tables, you guys remember that? Like, go home and write your fours ten times, and you're like, four times one is four, four times two is eight, four times three is twelve. I'm really good with fours. I'm not good with sevens. The the reason they had you repeat those again and again and again and again is so that you would remember them. And to this day, I can remember writing my times tables in third grade. And what God is doing by repeating the cycle of redemption in this story is He's sending a message to you and me. He said, "I want you to remember that you are dirty. I want you to remember that you are a sinner." I want you to remember that there is a punishment for your sin. I want you to remember that you are separated from me. Yet, yet I have a plan to restore you. And the whole book of Hosea, even though this was written in the Old Testament, it was written to point to the future, to when God himself came to this world in the form of a man as Jesus Christ. And he offered us a chance at redemption he offered us a chance at restoration. But there's just one question, is how, how do we qualify the fact that God must punish us by the fact that God wants to be merciful for, to us? Because he said very clearly, I will punish your sin. The sin of each and every one of us, my sin and your sin, was placed completely on Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about what that means. That means the sins that we committed against God were put on him as punishment. He died for you. I think we all know that. But the sins that he suffered for were the things that we did against him. It's like somebody robbing my house, going to court, being thrown in jail, and me saying, Oh, no, sir, actually, I'm going to take his uh, jail sentence. I'll do the 10 years in prison. You let him free because he robbed my house. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Listen, you cannot imagine how bad your sin is. You also cannot imagine how good the grace of God is. And his plan has always been to restore his relationship with you. Liv, if you want to come up here. As we look at this, I hope for us, if you are a Christian, if you come to know him, I want this to be a reminder for us. Because there is nothing worse than a Christian who forgets how dirty they really are when they start to live self-righteously and judge other people because we forgot how dirty our sin was for Jesus Christ. But if you're here and you've never come to know Jesus and you've never accepted his gift, think about how special it is that he he would take your punishment, that he would love you no matter how much you broke his heart, that he would have mercy on you without having mercy on himself. Today is the day for you to come to know him. This is our response time. It's just a time for prayer. If you can pray where you're at, you can pray up here. If you want to talk to me, I can tell you what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. But don't leave here the same as you walked in. Please stand.